the outside world, be sure you put your best face forward. Occasionally I hear the expression, well, it's the face I was born with and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that isn't quite true. Any girl can do a lot to get the... It happens to be the biggest beauty news in years because Hazel Bishop has created an amazing new kind... help of these two young ladies, I'm going to try to give you a few pointers on applying your makeup. Girls, equally important, only Hazel Bishop makeup looks so natural that no one, but no one, will know you're wearing it. And feels so... ...your face. And remember, lots of people will see you in profile. So be sure that the makeup goes... ...kind of liquid makeup that instantly and completely covers every age line and blemish you want. My cream rouge. Lots of women think that cream rouge is very difficult to use. But maybe they're just lazy. Because once you use your glow base, you'll find that cream rouge is the only kind to use. It blends easily. Stays on. Technology's changed the way we do so many things, even the way we interact with an industry as tactile as beauty. Skincare and makeup companies are really hot right now. Sales are growing, and there are more ways to discover and buy these products than ever before. But how and why is tech impacting the things we put on our skin? I mean, people have worn makeup for millennia. What's different now? I'm Lindsay Rupp. And I'm Jenny Kaplan. And this week on Material World, we're going more than skin deep on what's driving the rapid changes in the beauty industry. Every day it seems like I see a new beauty company pop up in my social media feed. It's definitely changed the way I think about buying products. Before Instagram, I remember always going to department stores with my mom to learn about new things. Now I'm constantly seeing those kinds of new brands on my phone. Absolutely. I've also found myself spending way more money on beauty products than ever before. I can really easily convince myself to drop a lot of money in somewhere like Sephora. It's just like a fun way to treat myself. It's not just us. We talked with several colleagues here at Bloomberg about how their buying habits have changed. I think there was a time in my life where I bought all my makeup at the drugstore. And then as I aged into feeling peer pressure to spend more money on makeup, I started buying makeup at Sephora and having kind of products that I became loyal to and individual things that I would go back and buy again and again. I have a few products that I always buy the sort of high-end version and a few products I always buy the drugstore version. When I started out buying my uh, my makeup, um, largely the department stores and then the uh, drugstores. And how that's changed over time is that I rarely go to the department stores anymore unless I'm really just being, I happen to be there and I run in. I really love um, stores that focus on makeup. So Sephora's and Ulta really love lots of products, lots of different things to try, people who can help. So I really love those places. I still have some of my favorite uh, um, drugstore brands that I'll go to for like eyeliner or sometimes mascara. Um, and then online, if I see something really cool. Uh, probably the body shop and boots, where I'll go to jams 
and uh, that certainly changed today. The process is uh, a blend between online, Instagram and YouTube specifically, and then going in store and having that mental moment in Sephora or Ulta and doing that splurge buying. To get a broader perspective, we talked with Jean Godfrey June, beauty director at Goop and a longtime reporter on the industry. She walked us through how the beauty buying experience has evolved. I mean, I remember the last, <laughs> my last sort of department store experience before becoming a beauty editor was was kind of a negative one. I went into a, you know, and this was in the very early 90s, you know, I went into a department store and the woman behind the counter selected for me what foundation she thought I should use. And I, when I got it home, it was kind of thicker than I wanted and not quite the right color. And you're like, eh. and people, people still have those you know, foundation is, is famously difficult to, to find the perfect color, but um, technology's gotten better. But also, um, you know, th- it started happening in the 90s where you could you could go in and you could actually, in Nordstrom, you'd be able to try the products. You know, it was an open cell kind of thing. Then Sephora came and you're like, oh my gosh, I can just walk around and look at what I feel like looking at. So most people are still buying their makeup and skincare products in stores, but that's starting to change. The shopping experience has then evolved. Um, certainly, you know, I know there's a company that's sort of a beauty cosmetic. Um, it's a lemonade with charcoal in it for detoxing and glowy skin and stuff. And they only sell on Instagram. <laughs> and you have to text your order. That's the only way. Um, so... The incredible explosion in in platforms in general has has made buying, you know, you can can buy things all sorts of different ways. And sometimes the the platform is kind of the exciting thing about it. Um, Certainly online totally changed the game. I remember when it started, online beauty, you know, people were like, will people buy things if they can't try them? And it's just like clothes. You can send it back. Beauty is a top-growing category in e-commerce. In 2016, beauty accounted for 15% of sales and 80% of growth online, according to Nielsen Total Store Report. 34% of global consumers purchase beauty and personal care products online. Beauty is a subsector of consumer right now is arguably one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting categories from our perspective. That's Colin Welsh, a managing director at TSG Consumer Partners. Financial firms like TSG have seen big opportunities to invest in upstarts in this space and to help them grow. I think it's attributable to a few things just generally, so I'll maybe start there. Uh, and these are phenomena that exist in a lot of other places, so I'm not suggesting they're earth-shattering, but they certainly have had a pretty profound impact on beauty. Um, I think it you know, starts with the complete overhaul of the landscape around how beauty brands market themselves to the end consumer. TSG has done several deals with beauty companies like ELF, Paracone MD, and Smashbox. They've sold a lot of their investments to big brands trying to capture the startup excitement. For example, L'Oreal bought TSG's It Cosmetics for $1.2 billion last July. If you look back at the larger beauty conglomerates, they differentiated themselves and they had a massive advantage by having large ad budgets and the ability to spend to attract consumers. And what's clearly changed and impacted the beauty world probably more than any 
is the emergence of digitally native brands, the emergence of social media, and really the democratization of how one can actually reach the consumer. Um, so that has created this, I think, overall momentum around innovation and creativity and upstarts, um, which in beauty is, is about as prolific as any other area that we see in consumer. The concept of a digitally native brand was once totally foreign. It seemed crazy to create a makeup or skincare company, something that's so tactile online. But as Colin said, that's changed. If I see in social media someone has something that I think looks kind of um, fun, or if I see a look on a model in a, in a fashion shoot and I want to re- recreate that look for myself, I'll kind of poke around and see if I can find it online. So I don't buy most of my makeup online, only my bronzer. However, I don't want ads every five minutes about all the different kinds of bronzers I could use. I have one that I use, and that's all I want to use. So I actually think social media and whatnot is pretty annoying with how you use your makeup. We spoke with one such startup born on the internet, Glossier, to get the lowdown on why and how they've found success as an online business. Glossier is a startup founded in the fall of 2014 by Emily Weiss. She created the consumer brand based on research done through her beauty blog, Into the Gloss. For Glossier, the internet's an integral part of how the company makes, markets, and sells products. We talked to Allie Weiss, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Glossier, about how this small beauty company is capitalizing on seismic changes in the industry. Like most beauty companies across the industry, uh, we create products, but unlike them, products are their primary focus. They think about what can we innovate upon, what can we launch to get people to buy the product. And our approach is what content and conversations can we create around beauty to get people to like our brand? And then ultimately, of course, because we're a business, buy our product. From a marketing perspective, we always think about, even on a daily basis, what is the content we're going to put out in the world? And whether that content is physical, so our products or that content is digital, things on social media or on Into the Gloss or on our website, how does that create a conversation? And I think that approach has started to differentiate us from the product-centric beauty companies in the industry. Social media and the internet makes it easier for brands like Glossier to ascertain what consumers are looking for. Those mediums also make it easier to fail faster and to pivot away from products consumers aren't into. Everybody who's good at it recognizes that it's an immediate customer feedback loop in order to get feedback on any particular product. So if in beauty, oftentimes, for example, for whatever reason, there's instability in the formula and it doesn't work or the componentry doesn't work, people are going to tell you pretty quickly. Um, and as a result, I think that's changing where you can optimize the product much more efficiently than you ever were able to. Glossiers used this instant feedback to actually create new products. In particular, when we're developing products, we get customer input on into the gloss. So a great example is our Milky Jelly cleanser, where we developed that with our community, asked them what their dream cleanser is, and launched that cleanser. We did the same thing for our Priming Moisturizer Rich through into the gloss as our primary vehicle. It was interesting to see the difference. Milky Jelly Cleanser came a year before Priming Moisturizer Rich, and we used into the gloss heavily and primarily for Milky Jelly Cleanser, and then 
Priming Moisturizer Rich was a strong mix of both into the gloss and social media, in particular Instagram, where we got feedback on both channels. We've seen innovation through channel in many different ways. I'd say some of the the three biggest ones were department store with Estee Lauder and how do you sell at a counter and sampling and being able to provide someone who is an expert at the products. Another one is Avon, so a direct selling model that did a really, that really had an impact on the industry. QVC is another excellent way of selling beauty products. And I think the next This is clearly on the horizon for more industries than just beauty, but e-commerce and direct-to-consumer is the next channel. And so that's where we're trying to make waves and pave a path for beauty companies to be able to sell online and through own channels. Technology has made it easier to create communities of like-minded people around certain kinds of products. One company that's done that successfully is Goop. Goop is an online editorial and retail company that focuses on natural and healthy products. It was founded initially by Gwyneth Paltrow as an emailed newsletter before taking off as a larger brand. Goop's growth is rooted in consumers' desire to understand the ingredients in their products, a theme we've discussed many times on this show. Jean Godfrey June talked about how that trend has shifted over time. About 15 years ago or so, um, I was at a beauty industry convention. And uh, the CEO of a very major cosmetic and consumer products company uh, called all the beauty editors to come to a particular speech he was giving and and was very adamant that we be there. And his speech, he looked right at us and said, beauty products are safe and you're journalists and that's your job to report that they're safe. And none of us had ever thought of beauty products as not being safe. It kind of backfired. It made us go, what? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Most people are still in that position. Most people, two-thirds of people, uh, the Environmental Working Group has, has estimated believe that the beauty product industry is regulated by the FDA or, um, and it's not, it's, it's not like food or medical products, um, it's just unregulated, and so um, people don't know what's what's in those products. And certainly, over those years since then, people have been waking up to that fact and becoming more interested in products that are clean and non-toxic. There's a, a loophole in the whole beauty industry that involves the word fragrance that evolved from when perfumers were wanted to keep their formula secret from others, which was perfectly legitimate back then, but now, you know, anyone can copy anyone's fragrances. Easy to do. Um, But this loophole is that you can put literally hundreds of ingredients within something called fragrance in your ingredients. So say you don't want parabens in your products. You might look on the back and say, do I see anything that ends in the word paraben? If the company wanted to hide those parabens, all they do is put them under the word fragrance. And you don't know that they're there. That's perfectly legal. Um, Now when I'm at Goop, um, we have a really, both the, for the content we produce and also the commerce that we sell, we have really, really strict, I would say some of the strictest out there, standards for, it's not about as much what's in the product, it's more what's not in it. For an audience like Goop's, social media can help spread the word on what products fit within certain specifications, even if it's still difficult to know exactly what's in everything you might put on your face. Social media has absolutely changed how people 
learn about beauty products. And certainly, um, word of mouth has always been an incredibly powerful factor in in the beauty industry. You know, you see your friend's mascara, you're like, I want that. Um, Social media has amplified that enormously. It's it's a huge factor in the beauty industry. But as far as learning what's in your products, you know, it's still very hard to know what's in your products unless a company is transparent. Goop is a very specific audience. That's important for these upstarts. Colin from TSG talked with us about what makes a small brand attractive to his firm and also to bigger beauty companies. We're really all about finding brands uh, and beauty that have um, entered a particular category and have demonstrated a level of sort of disruption, as overused as that term is, uh, or an ability to just create consumer enthusiasm and almost sort of a viral, um, uh, I would say, sort of efficacy and or um, utilization and affinity around a consumer. Um, And that's really harder to do than it sounds. Um, But there are a number of brands that have come onto the scene, I'd say, in the last sort of five to 10 years that have from nowhere um, grown quite rapidly. The success of these upstarts is not just based on cool Instagram videos. Like in other categories, people are really looking for the authentic. From an early stage, we see companies that have started because you've got a beauty enthusiast behind a brand uh, who's really demonstrated that they have a passion for what they're actually bringing to market. And as a result, I think the distinguishing characteristic there versus some of the bigger, more established heritage brands is people view it as authentic and they have an ability to connect. Um, and in beauty more and more, and, and it's definitely the case more so than, for example, apparel, you've got a unique ability to sort of personalize the experience without the product necessarily being personalized for you. And when you kind of combine those, which is, a, a media that is uh, in and of itself viewed as more authentic and a product that is the end user, you can apply it in a manner with which you think you're doing it uniquely, or at least a variant of something that maybe somebody showed you in a YouTube video. It's pretty, pretty special. As new and emerging companies in this space heat up, big brands are taking notice. We talked with our colleague Stephanie Wong, who writes about the beauty industry, about how and why big beauty is getting in on these trends. You see the major companies like Estee Lauder and L'Oreal and Coty, they are buying smaller brands, uh, indie brands that actually have really strong founders. Uh, they're the ones who drive product development some of them even get on YouTube channels and teach fans how to put on makeup and how to use their products. So these major beauty companies seized the opportunities and um, started snapping up all these um, small brands. As they lauded, bought quite a few brands in the past few years, and uh, I don't, I don't see that that's going away. I think last quarter they were talking about how these smaller, medium-sized brands are driving the growth. You can see like all these new brands, indie brands actually have a huge following on in social media like Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, like 18, 13 million followers. Once they buy the brands, they can buy their customers as well. So um, you can expect to see more deals going on in the next few years um, with big brands buying small brands. But selling online may allow some brands like Glossier to grow even without partnering with a big company. We're really set on how big can we make this ourselves. And we feel like the game's not over yet. 
So I think what we're really focused on is how do we make Glossier the next billion dollar beauty brand through direct to consumer, through channel differentiation. So direct to consumer and owned retail before we think about um, expanding in the more traditional ways through one of the large conglomerates or going through the large beauty retailers like Sephora and Ulta. The beauty industry is more attractive than ever, thanks in large part to the internet, even if that's not where the bulk of sales are coming from, yet. There's a lot of money pouring into the industry, from investors looking to make a buck on growing a small niche brand and selling it to a bigger player, to consumers looking to treat themselves with a little affordable luxury. And the buying experience itself has changed a lot from the way your grandmother or even your mom used to buy her makeup. Not only are there more and more small brands ready to give everyone selfie-ready skin, you're probably learning about them more online. Yeah, I mean, maybe you follow a blogger, or you see ads in your Instagram, or you see a friend posting a picture of her bold lip at a birthday party. There are also more brands geared towards people of different ethnicities with a variety of skin tones. As companies use real people as Instagram advertisers, they have to make products all those people can use. That wasn't always the case. It's something that came up in our consumer beauty panel. I am a person of color, and so um, my base is probably more yellowy or orangey. And so my choices when I was younger was kind of a lot of pinky colors. And if they were dark, I looked like I was darkened up to play someone of color in a movie. Like it was dark, but it wasn't my color. And so now there are just so many more colors that are great, that are great for people who are a variety of not just darkness, but also tone. And that's really, really helpful because I really don't like walking around looking like I'm wearing someone else's face. More different products are coming out all the time, and brands are increasingly catering to what people actually want in their makeup and skincare products. There's no sign that this industry is slowing down. So at least the next time I spend a bunch of money on another moisturizer or hear a friend talk about adding to her giant lipstick collection, I'll have the comfort of knowing that we're very on trend. Thanks for listening to this episode of Material World. Check out our other episodes on Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to shows like this. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at LC Rupp and Jenny's at Jenny M. Kaplan. Learn more about Glossier at Glossier. Follow Goop's beauty editor at Jean Godfrey June. You can read more of Stephanie Wong's coverage on the industry at Stephanie Wong HK. Find out more about Colin and the team at TSG Consumer Partners at TSGConsumer.com. Material World is produced by Magnus Henriksen and Liz Smith. The head of the podcast team is Alec McCabe. We'll be back in two weeks. Probably about 200. It's a lot of lipsticks. 200? Not just lipsticks. 200 color lipsticks. That is liquid lipsticks. Then there's lip tint.
tinted lip balms, then there's lipsticks. How do you decide what to wear in the morning? That's the irony. I probably just wear a lip balm. Oh, my God. So, uh, thank you for joining.